Welcome to the Sex Magic Podcast, where we explore the connections between sexuality and spirituality, the various cultures and traditions of sex magic, and conversations about everything in between, led by a coven of curious modern witches. If you'd like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is Sex Magic Podcast, our website is sexmagicpodcast.com, and if you want to send us an email, sexmagicpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Sex Magic Podcast. Today, I am so excited. I am joined by Mia Schachter, who is a consent educator, ethicist, and strategist, a writer, speaker, podcaster, creative and certified intimacy coordinator for TV and film. This is a conversation we've been wanting to have on the Sex Magic Podcast for obvious reasons for a very long time. And I'm so, so glad that you are here to join us to talk about maybe one of the most important conversations possible in the realm of sex and magic. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited because on my Instagram, I rarely talk about sex at all. Um, mm. in large part because I get shadow banned instantly. Yep. So it's really nice to be able to talk about it here. I know there's so much freedom and just being able to have like verbal conversations surrounding sexuality. I feel the same way. So much of what we post on Instagram is uh, the the magic heavy part of, right. of what we do. But yeah, we can talk about sex. We can talk about intimacy. We can talk about magic, everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm curious, uh, what brought you to this work? Um, well, there's sort of like a clear answer and then like a more ethereal answer. <laughs> um, the clear answer is that I um, started training to be an intimacy coordinator that was pretty magical in and of itself. A friend of mine asked if I wanted to write a movie with her about a, a woman whose job was to choreograph in, um, sex scenes. And I thought, is that a real job? And also like, yes, I will absolutely write this movie with you. And then about a month later, um, we started seeing all these articles come out about this new job called an intimacy coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got a job as a casting assistant on a show called The Affair. And we, the show hired an intimacy coordinator. So I reached out to her and said, can I interview you because I'm writing this movie? Um, and she said, yes. And then we interviewed her. And when my friend left, I was like, how do I do this? Like, are you training people? You know, I'll do whatever. Like, I'll get you coffee and pick up your dry cleaning um, <laughs> if you can help me do this. And so that is not the first time or the last time that I've written something that has then mm. come true in my life. And it was more than just that, like our, um, our main character, there were other things about our main character that started to come true for me. Mm. Um, and so it's, I mean, it's down to the point, like that happens often enough where sometimes I sit down to write something and I'm like, do, are you okay with this coming true? Because if not, yeah. don't, write it. <laughs> wow. You're really casting spells with the words you're writing. Totally. Um, and the more like ethereal answer to that question is that I've all my life gotten feedback that I make people very comfortable. I mm. put people at ease. And that's something that I've come to view as something of a superpower. Yes. Um, and so I didn't know 
that it would lead me to this, but it seems now in retrospect, like there was sort of an innate ability that I had to like gauge consent and practicing, practice it in an ongoing way and like pick up on nonverbal cues and check in with mm-hmm. people um, before I knew that there was a term for that. Wow. That's incredible. Oh, I love that path. That's amazing. It's so, it's so natural in that yeah. like, it just, you, you kind of found yourself on this journey and almost led by your natural abilities and impulses and instincts. That's truly magical. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. I actually have a friend who's an intimacy coordinator and a director as well. And it's what, like as someone who's been involved in the film TV world for a long time, it's just pretty amazing that there is this presence on set now, this, uh, you know, being able to have these conversations and um, people that are there to support, you know, certain protocol. It's just very much a blessing. And I'm so glad that our whole culture, I think, is going in this direction where consent is part of the conversation, finally. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So um, before we go too deep into consent and all of these really intense conversations, I was very curious. Yeah. You do identify as the consent wizard. (laughs) I do. (laughs) So I'm curious about the wizard part and I would love to know more about your spiritual path and... Mm -hmm. uh, if you are a wizard, if you went to Hogwarts, any of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So I, I do work regularly with, with a witch um, who's also a friend of mine. And uh, what I was starting to, I mean, I did not anticipate that I would feel that consent was magic. And it sort of um, like, it just started to feel, feel that way. Yeah. Um, and it, it felt like a spiritual practice. Like it started to become clear to me that it was like a mindfulness practice. It's a practice of knowing myself Mm -hmm. and like, you know, a never ending practice of going deeper, listening to my body, um, Mm -hmm. attuning to other people, uh, and to my surroundings. And what was happening was that as I got, more, uh, like as I got deeper into it and as it became like integrated into how I moved through the world in a really like fluid, fluent way, um, the synchronicity in my life just like skyrocketed. I mean, it was, it was wild. Like there were, I was meeting all these people during COVID, like on zooms and then discovering that like they knew each other and Whoa. that I had met them totally independently of each other. Like I even got off a Zoom call and went on to another Zoom call. And the person in the, in the second Zoom call knew the people in the first Zoom call. Wow. And um, so things like, I mean, things like that have like always happened to me. Like even as a kid, I remember uh, like my dad saying that he had like a surprise for for the family. And I like guessed the surprise (laughs) and it was like, it was super random. It was like Mm. nothing we'd ever done before. We didn't end up doing it. It was like, he, he had somehow, um, talked to someone about us possibly getting to go in like a helicopter ride around Mm. Manhattan. We didn't end up doing it, 
But there was just something in the way that he said, he was like, I have a surprise for you all, mm. or I might have a surprise for you all. I had no information about who he was talking to, like anything about it. And I was like, are we going on a helicopter ride? And he turned to my mom, like, did you tell me, like, did you tell them? And, and my mom was like, I didn't say anything. And, and then I had to kind of, you know, I don't know how old I was, maybe like 12 or 13. And I was like, how the hell did I know that? Wow. Um, but, you know, as you get older, like people, and especially like in our culture that prioritizes intellect, um, mm-hmm. there's all this doubt. It's like, you must have known because of, you know, and, and I started mm-hmm. to do that to myself. Like I must have, I don't know, seen something or heard something and just not been consciously aware of it. Um, you know, something happened to me when I was in New York a couple months ago where I like needed a Band-Aid and I I was walking and I like said to myself like, God, I wish you could get a Band-Aid at CVS, like just a single Band-Aid, like a Lucy cigarette. And <laughs> instead of having to buy like a whole pack mm-hmm. and within moments, a Band-Aid, one Band-Aid turned up in front of me as I was walking. And then I told a friend about it and she was like, oh, you should have told me like I would have brought you a Band-Aid because we met for lunch. And then later, um, I was going to see her again. Um, and I said, can you bring me a Band-Aid? Like the other shoe is hurting me now. When I saw her, she was like fumbling through her backpack. And I was like, you know what? Actually, forget it. It's fine. I'm just going to get in a cab and, and go home. So I don't need it. But then I was I was with another friend and we started walking because it was going to take us just as long to walk or like not much longer to walk. And, uh, and I was like, fuck, I should have taken that bandaid. And then a bandaid showed up in front of me twice in one day. So anyway, that's like, that's all to say, I think when I was a kid, I had these really strong impulses and intuitions and like, you know, I was feeling what other people were feeling. And I was, um, you know, you could, you could label that as like emotionally porous or something, but Mm -hmm. I think that there is a certain magic to that, like being able to pick up on what people, other people are feeling and say it and, um, you know, sort of go along with those intuitions. But I really like hushed it. Like I, you know, I told myself that that was weird or Mm -hmm. not real, or I was just missing something about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that even that continued into adulthood, but I would call them coincidences. And now I just don't believe in coincidences anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think that's a very common experience for so many of us who are born with really strong intuitions. And I think that everyone has a very strong intuition and it's more of our cultural conditioning and our families and, you know, the exactly certain traumas that we might be experiencing that make us doubt our own voices. Yeah. And I think that it's uh, a part of our magic practice that we get to go through the process of reclamation. Mm-hmm. And that is also a really beautiful thing. And I think that, uh, you know, it's just incredible that you've been able to shift that narrative of like, these are not coincidences anymore. We're not going to use that word. In fact, mm-hmm. they're synchronicities. It's my intuition. And I think that that's really beautiful. So I'm so glad you had that. But also, wow, very strong intuition, very strong conjuring. There's definitely like a magnetism surrounding you. It's amazing. 
Thank you. I, I'm realizing that I didn't quite answer the question of how I landed on <laughs> wizard. I can yeah. do that unless you want to move on. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it does sound like you have the wizard skills for sure. <laughs> and well, I love that that's, is, I mean, is that how you like to define your magic is, is being a wizard? Yeah, I do. I don't, there's something about the term witch that doesn't quite feel like it fits to me. Mm. Um, and, and I sort of, you know, it's like, I think it's like partially a gender thing, Mm -hmm. partially, um, that I think that which, um, is like a particular thing. And especially like around, you know, if you like practice Wicca or like something like that, it feels like it is not my term. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's also something like a little bit tongue in cheek for me that I do like about consent wizard, but unfortunately (laughs) that tongue in cheek aspect of it makes people think that I'm joking (laughs) and I'm not joking. Like I really do believe that this stuff is magic because I think it helps us get in touch with our intuition Mm. and then express our needs and I think, and our desires. And I think that asking for what you want is a spell. Yes. Yes. So as I was, yeah. So like, as I was sort of seeing it all come together that way and through like my own sort of, I did the artist way and I was like looking back into Judaism when I was like going through a period of like really intense illness. And so I was finding like these spiritual practices for myself Mm. and consent came in and kind of like threaded them all together. Mm. So that's, yeah, that's kind of how I got there. That's really beautiful. I I share that and I share that experience of going back to Judaism. I was mm. raised Jewish and mm-hmm. it is really interesting. And I have to say Judaism is one of the more uh, sex positive religions. Yeah. Very yeah. grateful to have had those roots. Um, but let's talk about magic and how consent is magic and uh, you know how, how we weave consent through our magic practice and how it is like you said, this uh, practice of deepening an awareness with ourself and intimacy with our needs and our desires. Yeah. Um, well, huh. I, I mentioned that I was like trying to figure out how to talk <laughs> about this earlier today. Mm. And it's hard because I like, I feel it so strongly. Yes. And I'm like, I consider myself a writer, but I'm like struggling to put it into words because it's, I think, such a sort of physical, like embodied sensation. Yeah. I think, I mean, what I've experienced, I guess, is like this, my friend Minachi calls it the nexus of life where you're like simultaneously (laughs) giving and receiving and doing something to someone and letting them do something to you. Mm -hmm. And it's like this flow where you're experiencing all those things at the same time. Mm. Um, And I think that what happens, like when I'm having sex, um, I'm trying to decide if it's like the same thing when it's like more sort of like emotional intimacy, but I don't need to conflate them. I mean, I think there's something that happens when I'm having sex where I feel like I'm in creative flow. Like I am not thinking and I'm just feeling and I'm so in touch with what my body wants and I'm so in touch with what the other person wants. 
I think at first, when you're like getting to know someone, a lot of that is verbal Mm -hmm. and like needs to be verbal to sort of like confirm, you know, like, is this what you are feeling? Because this is what I think you're feeling, Mm -hmm. but I want to know. But then, you know, as you get more intimate and like more trust is built with someone, I think a lot of that becomes nonverbal and it happens like in the space kind of between you. Like it's Mm -hmm. not happening to me and it's not just happening to me and to you. It's like, there's like a third like entity in that dynamic. That energetic exchange can definitely feel like a language. Yes, totally. Right. And, and it does start to feel like I'm reading their mind and they're reading my mind. Mm. Um, And that to me, like is part of, of intimacy. Um, it's it's tricky because it also becomes like it can have a shadow side that's mm-hmm. like codependency or like you know wanting someone to read your mind and then resenting them when they don't or something mm-hmm. like that and that's not the magic part i think the magic part is where it's like i can feel so intensely what this other person is experiencing that it becomes like the same it's like yeah. all one thing yeah Absolutely. Um, So my journey with consent really began when I got into the BDSM scene. Mm -hmm. When I was 20 years old, I had a friend who was training to be a dominatrix. She brought me in and I met my first dom the first night I ever went out to a BDSM thing. And it was really interesting because, and I've told this story on the pod before, um, we, I had scheduled to meet up with this dom after phone calls, conversations. And he had made it very clear how consent was a major part of BDSM and uh, all of that, all of the foundational kink stuff. And before I saw him for the first time, I had someone in my life violate consent, like in in a moment, like truly a week before I met up with this Dom for the first Mm time. And like a true sub at the time, Mm -hmm. I was very honest and, and, expressed what happened. And I didn't fully understand like how deeply like that consent had been violated, especially because it was kind of gray area, Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, this was my intro into the scene, which really was the catalyst for, I would say my entire twenties in navigating sexuality and spirituality. He had me write an essay about why I deserve to be treated better and why I had to put my needs first and take care of myself and then gave me a scene to support those beliefs. Mm. And I think it's really powerful how, um, you know, certain communities really did help shape this language and help give us this language specifically with queer communities and you know, the leather scene, the BDSM scene. And interestingly, I also do think that witchcraft or magic practices have also had a language of consent since maybe the beginning of time in that when we have a, when we cast a spell, first thing we do is we cast a circle. Mm -hmm. And when we cast a circle, we create this area of protection surrounding us so that we can do our magic. A container. A container, exactly. So yeah, it's really beautiful to see how how this energy of 
protecting yourself and setting strong boundaries really is present in in so many different realms and dimensions. So, yeah, the language um, does often like correlate the um, the language of a container mm. uh, and and ritual as well is like mm. really present in consent. Because when, when we, when I talk about a container and this was, you know, given to me in my consent education, Mm. um, uh, you open and close the container and that's a ritual, you know, and it can be something as simple as like walking through a door Mm -hmm. or shaking someone's hand or introducing yourself. It can also be much more, you know, what we think of in the realm of like ritual magic, where you can draw a circle around Mm -hmm. you with salt or you can like bring your crystals in or you can, you know, um, use a smell to Mm -hmm. open the container, um, light a candle, things like that. And when, when I talk about a container in consent terms, it's like the boundaries that are established and the consent that is established in that container, Mm -hmm. those do not leave that container. So you and someone else in that container might leave that container and Mm -hmm. be in another container together, but now you have to reestablish boundaries Mm. and renegotiate consent. So I talk about that in my classes sometimes, you know, like any boundaries established in here or any consent that is given, um, anything that we discuss in here uh, stays in here. And so if you run into another student um, at the grocery store, like, you have to renegotiate that. So you can't Mm -hmm. just assume that they're going to be okay talking about that story they told about their mother in class at, in this new container at the grocery store. Yeah. So the, the language between, and I, and I think about ritual and consent a a lot and how, how the ritual can help prepare our bodies Mm. to, um, to like be in that space, to enter a new space. And, and also that sometimes with consent, especially that ritual is often about creating a sense of safety mm-hmm. so that you can like flow in that space and know that you can advocate for yourself, know that you can share your boundaries and they'll be received with gratitude. Yeah. You know, all those things. Yeah. I think something that's so interesting about this conversation with consent and boundaries is that it really does require like a profound awareness of your own needs. And I think oftentimes in our culture, well, we, most of us probably growing up, we didn't receive that in our sex education. We did not receive training on how to maybe scan our body for uh, holding on to tension or emotions and listening to our yes. And so as as I'm sure everyone listening here is an adult, uh, how can we maybe go back to the the foundations of this practice and how can we maybe start to integrate all of these things. And I know you offer amazing courses, which I would love for some of our listeners, all of our listeners to, to check out, but maybe for people that are just tuning in, like what are the foundations of developing a relationship with our own consent? Mm. Well, I mean, my, my journey with it is really rooted in body awareness. And I know Mm. I'm not like alone in that, but it comes from um, a lifelong 
battle with like autoimmune and gut issues. Mm. So it's, for me, it's like totally wrapped up in that. And I think that a lot of my autoimmune and gut issues, the emotional component Mm. has to do with a lot of that repression that I was talking about of like, of magic, of intuition. Mm. Um, You know, there were a lot of things going on when I was a kid, uh, you know, like major uh, indigestion, like gastrointestinal issues, um, like hypersensitivity, all kinds of anxiety, social anxiety, um, and like not liking things that other kids liked, like pizza and cake and ice cream. And like now understanding that that was because they were making me feel bad. Like they were sending me into a state of like really intense gut inflammation. Mm. But at the time I was ignoring that instinct because I didn't want kids to think I was weird. You know, like all these kinds of things that were societal pressures that were like leading me to push myself past my own boundaries and my own limits and and to distrust and like gaslight Mm. my body essentially and tell it like you're wrong and you have to, you know, get in line basically. So So in terms of like getting in touch with consent for yourself, a lot of it has to do with um, slowing down Mm. so that you can hear what your body is trying to say. Mm. Um, And for a lot of us, and for me, certainly, um, there was a long period of of repairing that relationship that I had ruptured with my body Mm. and and because I had been ignoring it and distrusting it and basically telling it to shut the fuck up for so many years, um, it had learned to scream louder at me. It just wow. was, you know, screaming at the top of its lungs to get my attention. Mm. And so there was a long period where I was like, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. Like, you don't have to scream anymore, but it needed to learn to trust me. Yeah. Wow. So... In terms of like beginning that for for other people, I think, you know, all the things that we've been talking about, like mindfulness, um, you know, we could also call that prayer, uh, depending on how you practice it or what it feels like to you. Mm. Um, Yeah, slowing down, gratitude practices, like deep listening is really uh, what I think about when I, yeah, she's been on my lap the whole time. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, just for everyone tuning in, there was a cat on the lap and I had no idea. <laughs> the cat just moved. It was so cute. Yeah. She's been here. I mean, talk about witchcraft. Um, so yeah, I, it's it starts with that. It starts with listening to your body, trusting your body. And then I think there's other stuff that, that it moves into, um, you know, and I, I do kind of straddle the line between like magic intuition, um, and like science, Mm -hmm. I end up going over things like polyvagal theory and attachment theory, um, and those, those, you know, learning about like, what does your, what are your stress responses feel like? What do they look like? What do, what happens to your body? Um, and you know, are you in your parasympathetic, is your parasympathetic nervous system active or are you in static? Like, are you in a stress state? Are you fleeing, freezing, fighting? What do those look like for you so that you can then like name them and communicate Mm -hmm. them and know what you need to get out of them? Mm -hmm. Um, like for example, 
one of my most common stress responses is shutdown. I get really tired when I'm overwhelmed. Mm. And so I think historically in my life, I've thought, okay, well then I need a nap or I need some coffee. And now I understand that it's overwhelm, it's stress. And so I go, okay, I'm going to like jump around. I'm going to check in with my breath. I'm going to drink some water. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just understanding even those kinds of things have, have helped me like check in with where I'm at Mm. and then be able to express that to other people Mm -hmm. and take care of myself better. It sounds as though you are able to craft rituals that support the practice of deepening your relationship with yourself because you have like the awareness of like the science behind it and also your own patterns and the habits that you've had to, that you've gone through. And I think that it's really beautiful to be able to see maybe the the things that we've always done and mm-hmm. ask ourselves like is this supporting me does this serve me anymore and like going to the root of it like i really love i mean i'm sure this was a really difficult thing to go through but to have your body be so loud and and be demanding your presence to guide you into that place of like hey i need healing that is really magical in a way. And I think that our bodies really are such profound guides for our spirits. Yes, very much. And you're spot on. I mean, like, you know, it's, it was so difficult and it still is so difficult. It's something that I expect to be dealing with forever, but I do have this like gratitude for Mm -hmm. it. You know, it was an experience that made me who I am. It is an experience that continues to make me who I am. It made me a more compassionate person. Mm-hmm. And it did force me to get deeply in touch with my body in a way yeah. that I think I wouldn't have if the issue hadn't been, if the issues, plural, hadn't been so extreme. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have needed to pay as much attention. And mm-hmm. that attention, I think, is what makes magic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like our wounds and not necessarily physical wounds, maybe emotional wounds, they really are a portal for transformation. Yeah. 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 You know, you you brought up um, like a consent violation. I have one that also I think shaped who I am at a very young age. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was 19 and it was like the beginning of my sexual life. Um, and I mean, I've talked about it before. I've talked about it on my podcast. I've written about it. It's no secret, um, but it it really did it did a lot of damage, and it took yeah. a lot of healing and a lot of positive experiences to like outweigh it, and not outweigh it, but like um, you know, there were many years where I was like continuously sort of defending this bad behavior that yeah. this person had done, and you know, made excuses for him and been like, it, and really thought it was my fault. Mm. Um, And it took so many people telling me that it was super fucked up and that like no one should ever do that. Um, And it also, it took me like almost a decade to understand that the pain that I was experiencing during sex with this person after the 
I didn't even understand that like the inciting incident was an assault. I, I wasn't, I had, I was aware that I had had an experience of like leaving my body and like sort of watching it happen. And my body kind of went numb, Mm -hmm. but even having had like trauma, uh, education, I had not yet understood that as dissociation. Yeah. And when that clicked for me, it was like the floodgates opened open uh, opened up because I was like, I recognized in, in an instant that the reason I was experiencing pain during sex was because the first time we had sex, it was assault. Yeah. So like, and, and, you know, as a result of that, like, I don't think that I would be doing the work that I'm mm. doing now if it weren't for that. I don't think that I would be where I am. And I'm also like, I, I'm working on um, a, a concept album right now that has its own whole magical web around that, that like, like I had the idea maybe eight or nine months ago, but as I've gotten deeper into this project, it's become clear that I basically started it when I was 16 and like, didn't know that that was what I was doing. Um, And there's a song like about this thing that happened and it's my favorite song. And now like seeing the way that I've been able to like make something out of it and turn it into, you know, this, it's like part of the web. So it's strange to feel like gratitude in a way about this experience. At the same time, I feel like, you know, a lot of people say everything happens for a reason. And I don't quite agree with that in Mm. in like linear time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I don't think that it's happening and then you will find out why. I think it's more of like... um, a retroactive, I mean, I don't really believe that time is linear, but it, I do experience that phenomenon that people are yes. talking about, but more so retroactively, where it's like, mm-hmm. if this thing merely happened and means nothing, and all it did was hurt me, mm-hmm. that sucks. <laughs> you yeah. know? Like that doesn't feel, that just feels shitty. So if I can make meaning out of it, right. That's a much more like, um, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? That's a much more like nourishing way to move through my life. Yeah. Thing that things mean things. Uh, yes, yes. And I think the magic isn't in that this awful thing happens. The magic is what you created out of it. Yeah. Agreed. And I share this. I share this um, so deeply in that like I had my own experience as well surrounding uh, sexual assault when I was growing up. And I don't think I would be the person who I am today, this like, you know, kinky, like Mm -hmm. witchy, whoever person I am now, because all of the things that I am, maybe not, not aren't like, all of the things I am aren't because this happened. But I think the transformation that I experienced almost in this mythical way are because of the growth I've had to experience and go through and the blossoming out of this this chaos, you know? I wouldn't put pressure on yourself to 
make lemonade out of the lemon. Sometimes you can just sit with the fact that you were served some lemons and Mm -hmm. allow yourself to experience the sadness and the loss and the trauma and, and have those emotions flow through you and not put pressure on yourself to like create this narrative out of it. But I think that more often than not, there is a beautiful transformation that does come from the darkness that we go through. Yeah. Yeah. I think inevitably it gets integrated. Um, And of course there's always ways that that happens that are really difficult. Like I've certainly got some triggers and some trauma that come up. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I, I deal with like trauma and triggers the way that these things like live in your body. And I've done things like EMDR and, you know, hypnosis and like ways to, and you can do shadow work and and all these things that we do because they do end up manifesting in these really gnarly ways. Um, but there's also always a way that I think these things get like threaded mm. through our, our being. And then, mm. uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, I think I see beauty and darkness. Like I've really always, I've, I have like a pretty dark sense of humor. <laughs> and I think what I, what I value about dark humor is the way that it's like, it's both at the same time, you know? Yeah. It's alchemical in a way. Yeah. It's because you're, you're taking something that's so uncomfortable or difficult or scary or strange and you're finding the the ridiculousness the joy the whatever that makes you laugh um and i think like so that's so connected to magic yeah yeah so i would love to talk a little bit about how we can integrate consent and boundaries and protection into mm not just our magic, but also into our sphere of intimacy with ourselves and with others. And maybe that takes on the form of romantic connection, but maybe it also extends into how we show up in the world and how we communicate with other people in our friend groups, our family. Uh, I know it's quite a, quite a big conversation, but maybe just some like little nuggets to start out with. To integrate it into, can you say the question? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) How can we integrate some of the principles from the training of consent into our lives? Mm. Yeah, okay. So I, I think about this one particular aspect a lot, which is that I think there's often, um, well, one just blanket statement, consent takes practice. Mm. So it's not something, you know, there's all this rhetoric around like no means no, or like anything other than an enthusiastic yes is a no, as though it's that easy. Mm-hmm. And it's it's simply not. <laughs> like, you know, I wrote a whole piece for Killing Kittens about like my my skepticism around requiring enthusiastic consent. Like that, I'm not enthusiastic necessarily about things that I've never done before, but I can be Mm -hmm. totally curious about them and Mm want to try them without being like, fuck yeah, you know? So there, and, and also like, if you're getting into the realm of sex work, like you don't have to be enthusiastic 
for every single thing that you're doing. It's your mm-hmm. job, you know? And, and also for people who've experienced trauma, for example, like you don't, if you're trying to get back into sex and bring it back into your life and you're looking to explore, you can be hesitant and you can, you can have concerns and you can talk about that with your partner and they don't have to worry that because you're not, you know, like jumping up and down about it, that you are not fully in consent. Mm. So, so yeah, first I'd say it's a practice. It's not something that comes easily or naturally to most people. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I, what I think about a lot is like the way that in the past I've had, you know, countless interactions with people where I've thought like, I've had that feeling in my body, that stress feeling, like my heart is pounding. I'm getting kind of hot. My pit, my like pits are sweating. My palms are sweating. Um, and I'm like, that person just said something really fucked up in some way or another, or they said something to me that I don't like that was boundary crossing. And I'll, you know, this has happened. I mean, like on a first date, any number of times, and I've, written it off like um it's not worth it mm-hmm. it's not worth the emotional labor that it would take right now for me to like stand up for myself or advocate mm-hmm. like i don't ever want to see this person again anyway or like you know the the barista said something rude to me and i'm never going to see them again it doesn't matter or what and i was a barista for like 13 years so <laughs> it goes both ways yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, you know, by and large, I think baristas are, are wonderful and, and don't get enough credit, but it does go both (laughs) ways. Um, so what I've been working towards is not, um, shrugging them off, not saying it's not worth it because every opportunity to do that is an opportunity to practice Mm. in a relatively low stakes situation so that when you're in a high stakes situation, it's not the first time Mm. your body has experienced what it's like to feel that stress response and move through it. Yeah. So taking all those little opportunities to speak up, like, I really didn't like the way that you said that. Or, hey, that thing that you said is like really transphobic or, or racist. And here's why, you know, and, and part of what that does is what I said, which is that it, it patterns your body to go like mm-hmm. this stress response that you're feeling, you're okay. And you are going to get to the other side of it. And then the, the second thing that it does is through that process, you develop a really deep sense of confidence in your, and trust in yourself. Mm. Part of like my friend Lola Dean defines confidence as um, being comfortable in discomfort or like knowing that you're going to move through discomfort and be okay on the other side. Mm. So every time you practice, even when it seems negligible, your body learns a little bit. I'm going to get to the other side of that and be okay. Yeah. And so then when you're in a really high stakes situation, when someone is really pushing you, mm. um, you, it's not the first time. Yeah. And you're like creating a new neural pathway for yourself when you do this. And I feel as though using your voice in situations in which you may have felt your voice wasn't heard before is really powerful magic. Yeah. Yeah. And very often like the way that it is, I think a lot of times I don't speak up because I'm afraid of how someone's going to respond to me. Mm -hmm. And what I'm 
always working on, and I talk about this in class, is I'm I I work towards a, um, experiencing someone else's reaction to me as information about them, not mm-hmm. about me. And so if someone and and also like valuing myself enough, and this is where like those affirmations come in and the confidence piece is really important. Yeah. Like um, I need to believe that I deserve to have my boundaries met with a thank you and thanks for speaking up. And I'm so mm-hmm. glad that you know that about yourself and so on. And I And part of that requires me to also receive if someone ends up yelling at me or getting, you know, frustrated or, or taking it personally, that that is an indicator to me that perhaps this is not a good person for me to be in relationship with, Mm -hmm. as opposed to being like, I did something wrong. I need to fix this. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Wow. That's a really wonderful place to, to start. And I also like laugh at myself when I say start, because that's, (laughs) another place we all can always go back to. I feel like, ooh, yes, I am going to try to find moments for this today, this practice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think that piece about it being a practice is really huge because it can often, like I experience this as a person who does what I do, um, where I think there's this idea that like I teach it because I'm done learning it. Yeah. And I will always be learning it. Mm. You know, I I did something a, like a week or two ago that was harmful to a friend of mine and I had no idea. Mm. She told me about it. I was very upset with yeah. myself, you know, like I really recognized where I fucked up. And so part of this practice for me is not, um, not trying desperately never to fuck up, but rather to feel good about my ability to take feedback and hear Mm -hmm. that I have harmed someone and then feel confident in my ability to repair and apologize well so that that connection isn't ruptured. Mm. Yeah. And that strengthens your relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can build intimacy, honestly. Yeah. Wow. That is really powerful. I'm glad you had that experience. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's it's funny. It's like one of those things where I I learned and and always again always working towards doing this better, but mm. I've sort of pa- work I have patterned my brain to like feel that shame and sort of use mm. it as like a trigger for gratitude. Yeah. And that way when it happens I go all right, what is there to be grateful for here? Because I feel pretty fucking shitty right now. And I can usually find it, you know? Usually it's like, my God, this friend like feels safe telling me this Mm. and like wants to be my friend moving. Like she could have just stopped talking to me. Yes. She could have not told me and like harbored resentment and it could have come out later and she could have exploded at me and I would have had no idea why. Yeah. Instead, she wanted to repair the damage, which that's a lot to be grateful for. Yeah. You know, I have friends in which I've had this situation happen before in in that like I felt that there was something that, you know, affected me and we had really big conversations surrounding uh, you know, the the incident. And I do feel as though like consent is a is a major part of this conversation because it really is about 
my boundaries. It's, hey, I didn't want to be treated in this specific way. And our boundaries can be crossed even past realms of intimacy. It doesn't have to just be in that container, like you said. And the the deepening of a bond that happens when you communicate your boundaries. It is, I feel, energetic work. And it is really beautiful and um, transformative for the friendship or the relationship. Because then you get to see each other and know each other in a more profound way. Absolutely. I love what you're saying about like stating boundaries as protection magic. Mm. I think I, I feel that to be true. And I also feel the like opening mm. in my body and my heart when I name a boundary and it's received well, yeah. because that protection magic gives me that sense of safety that I need in order to like play and explore and be creative. Mm, yes, absolutely. Mm. <laughs> there are so many parts of this conversation I want to keep having. We need to figure out a way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like the last silly thing I want to add that is in the realm of magic and consent is how I interact with ghosts and spirits. Okay. So this is just, I'm throwing it out there because we are in uh, you know, shadow work time. We're connected to the spirit realm. Something I learned from a witch a long time ago, maybe when I was a kid, was that if you don't want to interact with spirits or ghosts, you just have to verbalize and tell them you're not welcome here. Or I don't mm-hmm. want to have a relationship with you. And it's very interesting that the spirit realm <laughs> responds to uh boundaries in in that way. And I just think it's really fun to take consent into the uh, spirit realm. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's right. I, I mean, it's tracking for me with the way that I think about um, sex, you know, and especially any kind of penetration mm. where it's like, you really do have to ask your body for permission mm. And, and for, um, like, is it ready? You know, mm-hmm. you, ha- you really have to check on that. And there's times when I think, you know, I love lube, but like, there's times when I think that lube lets us not check in. Yeah. And I have certainly done that to myself where I'm like, I'll just put lube on this and put it inside me so that I'm past the prep part. And that, you know, that's a way that my body is saying, like, I'm not ready yet. Slow down. Yeah. Um, listen to me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know that every body is different. And some people, like, have a different relationship with, like, um, vaginal lubrication and all that. So I do want to yeah, throw definitely. that out there. But I really do feel that sentiment. I think that it is part of that practice you said of slowing down as well and really checking in with our body and not just our body, but our minds. Like, am I aroused? Am I like mentally stimulated and energetically as well? If you're feeling that like connection that you seek, if that is where you're at, you know, there are so many ways that we can connect, not just with our physical body, but like our emotional body, spiritual body. So this practice, it's never ending. (laughs) Yeah, truly. 
So we are just about at the end of our conversation. I don't know where the time went, (laughs) but we do ask all of our guests this one question at the very end of our interviews, which is, if you could give your younger self one piece of advice surrounding sexuality, spirituality, those two themes, what would it be? I would, I would tell Mia that they are magic. I would mm-hmm. say like, trust, trust that. And that mm-hmm. your body knows, um, you don't need to second guess it. Mm. Thank you so much, Mia, for this amazing conversation. Uh, would you want to share with our listeners how they can um, connect with you further and stay in touch? Yeah, yeah. Um, I am on Instagram at Consent Wizard. Um, my website is sharetheloadinc.com. Um, that's where you can sign up for my newsletter and hear about classes and uh, discounts and you know <laughs> things that I'm doing. Um, I do offer an educator training for anyone who wants to bring this work into their already existing work or into their community or like to whatever they already do. Um, I'll be doing another one of those uh, in the, in winter or spring of the new year. Um, I'm not really on Twitter, but it's also at consent wizard. (laughs) There's so many platforms to, to be active on. It's yeah. (laughs) And you have a podcast as well, right? Oh, I do. Thank you. Yeah. My, <laughs> my podcast is called Share the Load. Um, and it's a sort of ongoing conversation about labor and relationships and how mm. we um, think about labor and our relationship to, to labor. Ooh. Oh, man. We definitely need that conversation as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mia. It was such an honor having you on the show. Thanks for having me. the sex magic podcast is more than just a podcast we are a collective a community a conversation if what we do here resonates with you i'd like to invite you to join us on patreon but what even is patreon it's an online platform where you can directly support artists and creators in exchange you receive exclusive benefits It's a direct form of energetic exchange. If you'd like to join us on Patreon, we have some incredible monthly benefits, such as live Q&As where you can ask us questions every month and tune in to get them all answered. We also have an incredible Discord community where you can connect with other people around the world and talk about things within the realm of sexuality and spirituality, along with monthly resources, rituals, tarot insight and crystal guides to help further your spiritual path so if you'd like to support us and show us how much you appreciate the work that we do with the sex magic podcast i invite you to check out our patreon we have the link down in the show notes but you can also go on patreon.com slash sex magic podcast